This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. We're continuing on our teachings on spiritual warfare. In my portion of the teachings, uh, my, my assignment is putting on the armor of God. So what we're talking about is spiritual warfare, putting on the armor of God. I mean, if you just indulge me, I want to make sure that we cover some of the items that were, were addressed last week. I don't want to assume that, that everyone that's here tonight was here last week. And I'm not sure that, that all of you that were here were here and attentive. So just the, some of the, the key highlights. So we talked about the armor of God. Who is this armor for? And we've been discussing all along that this is spiritual warfare. It's not against flesh and blood. But who is the armor for? We said that the armor is for believers. That the things that we're discussing in spiritual warfare, you can't apply them to a self-help seminar. Some these these principles, you 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 know, if you have friends that are that are lost in the world. You can't just go up and tell them to, uh, to apply spiritual principles to carnal lives. This is, this, is, this is the children's bread. This is what's reserved for those that believe. This is reserved for those that have been bestowed with grace. And so this armor is for the believer. We said the armor that you wear, the uniform that you wear, it indicates who has your allegiance. It says... Who protects you? Who you fight for and who fights for you? The armor of God. We said, what is this armor of God? And I wanted to, to give you guys a, you know, just a clue that, that whenever you see in Scripture where it says that, that, that something was given or that, that God gave or that Christ gave, know that what Christ gave to the believers was the Holy Spirit. That was the gift that he, that he sent after he had ascended so that we would not be without comfort. So that we could be led and instructed in righteousness. So God gave the Holy Spirit. What is the armor of God? The armor of God is the Holy Spirit at work in the believer. It's the Holy Spirit that is at work in the believer. And what's the intended use? The, the use is so that we may be able to stand against the schemes, the tricks, the deceptions, the false evidence appearing as real of the devil. So the use of the armor is it's not armor that we go out. We're not we're not we're not trying to to defeat Satan. He's already defeated. We're not out there trying to trying to beat up Satan. He's already defeated. He's already been judged. This armor is for us to stand. We said that this is armor that God has given to you. It's effective and it's necessary. That the armor of God is armor that God has given to the believer. Don't doubt the effectiveness of the armor. It will do what it's intended to do. 
as we discuss the components, just understand that the truth, righteousness, that these things, that they do what they're intended to do. That they are, they, are, they are not without power. They are not without effect, but they are mighty through God. Also, that the, that it's, that the armor is necessary. It's not optional. We can't choose to, to say, well, I'll, I'll just apply a little bit of truth, but I won't apply righteousness. No, no. That's what the Pharisees did. They, they attempted to apply the law without applying worship to the law. And they, they then distorted the law so that those that actually needed help were being taxed and burdens were being placed on the people's heads. Instead of them seeing Christ and glorifying God, all that they saw was an institution. All that they saw were men. So the armor is, the armor is effective, but it's also necessary. You know, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we said that they are good and that they are perfect. Meaning that they are, that they are, are health to your body. That they are help in a time of need. But they're also perfect. They're also correction. When correction is needed, it's also rebuke when rebuke is needed. It builds upon itself and it does not contradict. That the armor of God, it doesn't lead you into vain arguments and, and strife. It doesn't lead to confusion and disorder in the house of God. We said that we wanted to understand that the armor of God, it does, it, it does not work independent of the believer. You have to apply the armor. You have to make use of it. Yes, the armor is of God. The grace is of God, but you have to apply your will and your effort to accomplishing the will of God. It's not independent of the believer. The strength of the armor is found in the word that you have received and put into practice in your life. Therein is the armor made strong. Therein is the integrity of the armor proved out. The metal. The ability for it to withstand is, is proved out as you put the word of God that you have received into practice in your life. We said that we want to act with confidence and not with a passive mind. And the reason why we need to act with confidence is because the enemy, he's not passive. The enemy is not passive, but he's active. He's going about seeking those that he may devour. We're going to talk some more about how sin is, is crouching at the door of your heart looking if you're going to let him in. And, and again, we're talking to believers. We're, talking, we're not talking to those that, that, that don't know God, that are without the covenant. We're talking about believers. Who has deceived you, having begun in the Spirit, having begun by faith that you would continue in the flesh? We're talking about putting on the whole armor of God. You can't be passive because the enemy is active. But we know that God is also active. That he is also active. That we can examine his doctrine. We can examine the manner of life, the purpose, the faith, the long-suffering, the charity of those that have come before. 
that bear witness that all that live godly, all that desire to live godly, all that will live godly, that they shall suffer persecution, but that they shall endure, that God causes his people to stand. So what is the armor of God? We said it's the Holy Spirit at work in the believer. It's truth. It's righteousness. The gospel of peace. Faith. Salvation of the mind. The sword of the spirit. And it's also praying. We said that in that, in that praying that it's also taking heed, being watchful. It's watchful prayer. It's watchful prayer. As a guard that is on the ramparts, as the rest of the city is asleep, we're always on our watch, calling out to our God, seeking his face early in the morning and into the night. Lord, where is the attack coming from? Is it from within or is it from without? What needs to be strengthened? What needs to be built up? What needs to be established? Where are the shortcomings? Where are the shortfalls? Watchful prayer. And so we talked about that your loins needed to be girded about with truth. And we gave you some illustrations that go to Ephesians chapter, chapter 6. Let's just start with our foundational scripture. Ephesians chapter 6. We'll start with verse 12. It says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Verse 14, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto, with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So we went into some detail last week about this, that your loins need to be girt with truth, this, this, this girdle of truth, the strong belt of truth. We said that, that girded loins, they're a sign of readiness for service or for any endeavor. That a girdle... It, it's, 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 it's very close to the body. It's worn close to the body. That it constrains, but it doesn't restrict. It, it, it guides your motion, but it still allows you to move. We use the example of the, 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 the belts that, that weightlifters use. And what that belt does is it takes the strength that the, that the lifter already has. It takes the strength that the lifter already has. And as they're, if they're using the proper technique, it directs that strength so that they're able to accomplish more than they could 
without the belt. It directs the strength. What's already been placed inside. Truth directs and guides the believer in what they've already heard and what they've already learned. As they've taken in the entire word of God, they surround themselves with truth. It directs their thoughts. It directs their actions and their activities so that what they apply themselves to can be that much more effective. The girdle of truth. When we talk about this, this, this girdle of truth, we find that in Scripture there are these just various examples of, of men that girded themselves. And in Nehemiah, as they were building the wall, they were beset with enemies on the outside that were trying to disrupt the work that they were doing. And instead of, of taking a break to fight a battle, you know, you can't always just say, I'm going to take a break so that I can deal with this. So you have to continue to build even as you're going through. Sometimes you're going to have to build even as you're going through. But they girded themselves. It says, Nehemiah 4 and 18, just make a note of it. For the builders, everyone had his sword girded by his side. And so build it. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. Nehemiah said that the, the trumpet sounder was, was, was there with him. That as they were, as they were building, they, they had their, their girdle on. They were prepared for whatever may come. Yes, they applied themselves to the work, but they were prepared for the attacks of the evil one. You know, a lot of times we get confused. We say, well, God, I'm doing what you asked me to do. I'm doing what you, what you commanded me to do. Why is this trouble coming in my life? Why am I getting this news now? I thought that I was in the right position with you. As a builder, as a wall builder, you're going to have to learn to build while being girded. You're going to have to learn to be able to build and be prepared to fight at the same time. The enemy, he's not taking a break. He's not, he's not, he's not going to give you a repast while you accomplish the will of God. No, he's there trying to disrupt what God is doing, to distract you and to take your focus away, to wrestle and to struggle against people instead of recognizing that, our, that the enemy that we fight against is not flesh and blood, but it's a spiritual. It's a spiritual enemy. We said this, this girdle of truth, when we think about truth, there is no deception in truth. That truth is basic. It's fundamental. It can't be divided against itself. Now, what do I mean by that? It means that even that with truth, that even if you don't know all of the truth, what little bit of truth that you know, if you hold on to that truth, as God reveals more and more to you, that truth will never be contradicted. The, the truth that you learn will build upon and build upon and be built upon. Line upon line, precept upon precept. Truth doesn't contradict itself. That's why God tells us to, to give. But also that if you don't take care of the, of the widows and orphans, that you're worse than an infidel. 
Because you can't say that, well, I, I gave to the church, but I have, and I have nothing to give to my house. That's why it's a, it, it would be a contradiction for me to say that, well, I took care of my own. But you neglected the work of the Lord. You neglected the house of God. I needed to stay home to look after my family so I couldn't put my hands to the work of the ministry. Truth never contradicts itself. It only builds upon itself. Truth cannot be divided against itself. Jesus said that when he was casting out devils in it, they said that he did it by Beelzebub. He said that, how is that even possible? That doesn't even make sense. Because the house divided against itself cannot stand. Truth is basic. It doesn't, it doesn't contradict itself. It's not divided against itself. John 17 and 17. Let's turn there. John 17 and 17. And this is Jesus. He's praying just before he's, he's, uh, he's going to be apprehended by soldiers to be tried, crucified. Verse 16, he's talking about believers, those that believed on him. He says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. He says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The word of God is truth. There's not, when we say that this is my Bible, that I can be what it says I can be, we mean that. That what God has written in His Word does not contradict itself. Even as He applied it and, and it was spoken to, to the, uh, the believers back in that day, it still applies to us today. Truth doesn't contradict truth. We say the strength of the believer is found in the truth of God's word. The truth that is received and put into action. We have to hold fast to truth. We have to be surrounded by it. That's that girdle. We have to be constrained by it. As we apply our efforts that we can be that much more effective. Go to 1 Peter. Chapter 1. First Peter 1 and 22. This is Peter writing to the churches that have that have scattered the Gentile churches. It says verse twenty two, seeing ye have purified, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart, fervently. It says that in, in, in truth that, that we need to be united in purpose. To purify means to remove undesirable elements so that what remains can, can have its original integrity. 
in metallurgy, when you introduce impurities into the, the, uh, the, the metal, what it does is it changes the nature, it changes the character of the base metal. But when you remove, when you remove the impurities, when you remove the impurities, then it's what it should be. Then it's what you expect it to be. As we put away our impurities, as we purify ourselves, we can be more like God intended us to be. More operating according to his purpose, his design, and his will. Your integrity is seen in how you respond to adversity. In order to have a proper response to adversity, you're going to have to first gird up your loins. You're going to have to prepare yourself. going to have to become armed. And so when we're looking at this armor of God, we, we know that this is a natural example that's given to impart a spiritual truth. And so it's talking about the breastplate of righteousness. He gives this example, girding up your loins, having on the breastplate of righteousness. You know, a breastplate, is, it's a hard shell that's worn over the heart. It protects the breast. As I was studying this, I was, I, was, I was struck by almost every mention in Scripture of a breastplate. Breastplate, breastplate, breastplate. It was actually referring to the, the covering that the priest wore. Where it was a, a, a linen ephod and in it were, were sewn twelve stones, precious stones. Representing the twelve tribes. And the priests would wear that as they, as they worshipped and presented sacrifices to God. As a, as a demonstration that they were not representing themselves. They were not offering sacrifices for themselves, but they were actually coming as a representative for the entire nation. It says, we're putting on a breastplate. Understand that the breastplate is not just for you. But you are a representative. It's the, the uniform that you wear indicates who you fight for and who fights for you. Look at Isaiah 59. This is where Isaiah is, is, uh, is, is speaking to the people of covenant. So it applies to us. Isaiah 59, just at verse 1, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot serve, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. Again, we're talking to Christians. We're talking to those that are supposed to be of the covenant. It says, the hand of God is not, is not shortened. He is not without strength that he can't save. He can save. He's not hard of hearing that he can't hear your cries. He can hear your cries. But you're, because you haven't purified yourself, your iniquities 
your carnality, your sin has separated you. It's put a distance between you and your God. And He's hidden His face from you. He's hidden His face from you. Jump down to verse 16. This is God's resolution. And He says, And He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. There was no one that would go in into his presence and stand as a representative for the nation. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him and his righteousness sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and an helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. He's speaking about people that had a knowledge of God, but they chose not to continue in his word. And because there could be found no one that would intercede, the Lord came himself and brought salvation. Christ came in the flesh. And if you can imagine that, that he veiled himself of his divinity. And he put on flesh as a man. To glory by the Father. So that we could see the Spirit working through flesh. He could have done it in his own strength. And we would have said, oh, well, you know, God can do it. That's what, that's what God can do. But no, he came making himself of no reputation in the form of a man so that we could see the power of God working through, the manifestation of his power working through flesh. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Just start at verse 5. It says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. He didn't consider being divine something that, that was glory in and of itself. He didn't consider his position as the co-laborer with God in fashioning the worlds and the universes as something to be coveted, as something to be boastful of, as Lucifer did, that that, that, that allowed his position 
to take away the glory that belonged to God and led to his condemnation. But instead, he made himself of no reputation. And we talked about humility. He made himself low. He said, I'm going to get under God's will and God's desire for his people. And he took on the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He took off divinity and put on humanity and became obedient even unto death. Putting on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate is intended to cover the heart. And why is it important when we consider the heart? So we know that the heart is the seat of our emotions. It's the seat of our rationality. It's how we value and make judgments. It's what we consider our point of view. It's how we see the entire world that's around us. That's, that's found in the heart. Go to Proverbs chapter 4. Verse 23, very familiar passage. It says, keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. It says, keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. And so the heart is extremely important. But it's incumbent upon you to take action in keeping your heart that you have to pay attention my daughter loves to to cook on occasion and sometimes I like to help her sometimes I don't but sometimes I like to help her and one of the things that that, that we've done in the past is is um, you know we've made root and I probably didn't do it the right way. I just tried to listen and follow the instructions. But one of the things in making this, this room is that heat was being applied to the, the, the ingredients that were in the pot. And you needed to continue to stir. You needed to continue to stir. You had to be diligent about it. You had to be watchful about it. Because if you got distracted and turned away, instead of that, that thing going from, from white to a light tan to a nice color, it's now black. And you don't have rue anymore. You have trash. We have to keep our heart with all... We have to... To, to be watchful, to be mindful. You know, you, you don't think there's a, a lot going on. 
you don't think there's there's a whole lot going on. It, it just seems like, you know, am I am I just keeping busy? You know, it's it's not really all that comfortable. But I'm I'm looking and I'm I'm waiting for the change. To, but I have to continue to apply my attention, my diligence, as that change is taking place. Keep your heart with all diligence. We said your heart, it includes your intentions. Your heart, it directs your actions. Before the words leave your mouth, they're first born in your heart. They're first born in your heart. You know, your, your, heart, can, your heart can cover your actions. You might do something and it might not be right. It may, it may be a little, little wrong. But if your heart is right, it'll, it'll fix that. It'll fix that. You might say something that might seem a little sharp, might seem a little rough, but if, if, if they've seen your heart, say, oh, I know what that sounded like, but I know. I know that I, I know his I know his I know where his heart is. I know what his intentions are. I know where his desires are. I know where he has directed his actions. The enemy is not passive. He's not idle. He's trying to attack your heart. One illustration that I love is in in in, uh, in Genesis chapter four. And this is where Cain has presented an offering that was not acceptable to God. And he receives counsel. He receives word. Genesis 4, verse 6. It says, The Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? What's in your heart is on your face. What's inside of you has leaked out. You did say that out loud. If thou doest well, shall not thou be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lie at the door. And it's thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Sin is lying at the door of your heart, and it desires to have you. It desires to sift you, to separate you into your basic components. But the intention of the Creator is that you would have rule. You would have rule over your heart. That you would be able to resist the devil and he would flee from you. Go to James chapter 1. Just talking about the attacks that come against the heart. The enemy is not, we have to guard our heart because the enemy is not passive, he's active. And he's ever looking for an entryway into your heart. Let no man say when he is tempted, verse 13, I am tempted of God. 
For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. We talked about that girdle before of truth. Clinging to truth. Clinging to the truth of God's word. If God can't be tempted, I need to try and understand how can I be closer to him? How can I be... I don't... You know, if, if people are getting strapped, I'm not going to the room where the strap is. I'm trying to get away from the room where that is. I want to be where the healthy people are. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. The enemy is diligent. He's active. He's trying to send enticements that are directed at your heart. That's why you need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. What's the heart supposed to produce? In the heart, there's supposed to be treasures. Go to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12. We said before that before you speak, it's, it's first birthed in your heart. Before it comes out of your mouth. Before you act, it's first birthed in your heart. Before your hands are put to it. Before your feet go there. If you didn't assess last Sunday... It's because in your heart you had not made preparations to assess. If you did assess last Sunday, it's because in your heart it was already there. And the actions were just a manifestation of what was already in the heart. Matthew chapter 12. Verse 35. This is actually a rebuke that Jesus is is given to the Pharisees and their, their, false, their, their false teachings. Their teachings are false, not because the words they are reading are not correct, but because they are reading things that they are not applying in their lives. You can't speak the truth and then act a different way. Verse 35, A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure, bringing forth evil things. So when your heart should be stored up good treasure, it should be stored up good treasure so that when the time comes, you're able to bring it forth. When you think about treasure, treasure has to be put there. I'm just trying to see if I can express this to you all. Before you can pull from the treasure, the treasure has to be put in. Before you can pull from the treasury, treasure has to first be put in. If we've not received the word of truth, if we've not received the word of life and taken it in, 
then how can we have good treasure in our hearts so that when the time comes, when the day of need arises, when the opportune moment arises, our accounts are at a depth. There's no good treasure that we have to give. Let's see if this will help you guys understand it more. Go to Daniel chapter 1. Should be a familiar passage. We're saying put, it, put on the breastplate of righteousness. It's protecting the heart. It's protecting that, that treasure that should be stored up for when it's needed. Daniel chapter 1. This is when Daniel and, and the, uh, the young men from Judah had been captured and, 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 and taken into captivity. And there's a course that has been dictated for them. But this is a course that, that's not according to God's purpose. It's not according to God's design. Verse 8, it says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. When Daniel was, was presented with the test, when he was presented with the, the, the enticement, stored up in his heart was good treasure. Good treasure. You know, we said before that truth is basic. Truth is fundamental. It doesn't contradict itself. You know, Daniel didn't pull from that treasure in his heart and say, I'm not going to defile myself. He didn't pitch a fit and, and stage a boycott, but no, he stayed under the authority that was given. He petitioned the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And he found favor. He found favor in a godless nation. In a godless nation. I wonder sometimes about how, how we allow ourselves to believe that we've been pushed into situations. That we've been forced into doing things that are against the will of God, that are against authority. We say, well, I had to do it. I had to do it. You know, truth doesn't contradict itself. Out of the good treasure that was in his heart, this godless man, because truth is so basic, it's, so, it's so fundamental. You know, truth is evident. To all around. They can see your integrity. They can see your diligence. You might ask a thing. You know, everyone else has to do third shift. Know that that contradicts with what you need to do. And you say, you know what? I've been diligent. I've acted with integrity. 
how is it that, that, that we then come back and say, well, you know, I, I was forced to, I had to. Where was the treasure? Where was the treasure that should have been in your heart? The thing that you should have set aside and stored away and prepared ahead of time. And prepared ahead of time. Putting on the breastplate of righteousness. You know, righteousness, it is conformity to the will of God. It's conformity to the revealed will of God. It's the lifestyle of the believer. Those that have been made right should do what's right. Those that have been made right should do what's right. You know, I know I mess you guys up a lot of times when I'm talking about these examples of, of how we should set ourselves aside in the natural, how we should reserve ourselves and, and put a premium on our time and put a premium on what we allow the world to ask of us. And, and just know that I'm not, I'm speaking to the congregation as, as a whole. I'm not speaking to any person specifically. I'm not speaking to any situation specifically. But truth does not contradict truth. If you don't consider who you fight for and who fights for you, people will mistakenly think that you're on the other team. It might look like you're, you're not on the Lord's side. It might look like you trust in riches, like you trust in the favor of men. Like your contentment is in being better than everyone else, being above and superior to your brothers. And so I use examples in my limited thinking. But the hope is that you would see the truth of these examples, the truth of these illustrations, and apply it as needed to you in your life. We need to be conformed to the will of God, putting on the breastplate of righteousness. If we have been made right, then we should live right. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. You know, when, when, when Paul is writing this scripture, we know he's writing to believers. And these believers have already had righteousness placed on their account at salvation. When they first believed, righteousness was placed on their account. The sin that they had. Their deficiencies relative to God. God looked at the ledger and he says, I'm going to wipe all those away. And on your account, I'm going to put righteousness next to your name. Because of your faith in Jesus Christ. But if we have been made, if, if he has placed righteousness on our account, should we not all the more choose to live righteously 
It's like if we've been made alive by faith, then we should willfully choose to live by faith. Oh, foolish Galatians, Church of the Living Water, how was it that you began, that you were established in the Spirit, and now you seek to establish your own self through the flesh? That's only deception. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Go to First Thessalonians. Chapter five. We'll just start with verse five. It says that ye are all children of the light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of. He's saying this is the team that we're on. This is who we identify with. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others. Let us, let, let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that are drunken, are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober. Let's be diligent. Let's be mindful. Let's be purposeful. Putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet the hope of salvation. Let's be purposeful in putting these things on. Let's be purposeful in applying ourselves to the revealed will of God. And you know, the thing about it is that when you put on righteousness, when you clothe yourself with the armor that He has given, that righteousness, it sustains, it strengthens, it upholds you. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 14. It says, The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit, who can bear? The spirit of a man, if you put that treasure in your heart, it will sustain you. Even when it looks like you should be down for the count. Even when other people around you are like, wow, I can't believe they had to go through that. Righteousness sustains you knowing that you are doing what God called you to do. When people talk about you. When people laugh at you because you're not doing what they're doing. You're not able to go where they're going. You're not driving what they drive or living where they live. But when you know that you are right where God wants you to be. That you have acted according to what has been revealed in his will. It sustains you. It, sus it supports you. And Isaiah says that, and he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him 
and his righteousness, it sustained him. Even Christ was sustained by, by being inside of the will of God. On purpose, doing what God commanded. We know that when Jesus was ministering to the woman at the well, that here he had come and he should have been getting refreshment, but instead he was ministering. There's nothing like that. When, you, when you're feeling tired, you just wanted a drink of water. You just wanted a little natural. But instead, but instead, purpose shows up. Purpose interferes with your break time. Purpose says hello to you in the grocery store. Purpose meets you in the parking lot. And now it's time to minister. Now it's time to show forth love. Purpose calls you up. Just when you were ready to Netflix and chill. Purpose comes looking for you. And now it's time to minister. And after he shared with this woman. And she was blessed and went out to tell the entire region. His disciples then came and they were like. We got the food for you. We have something to refresh you. John chapter 4, verse 31, it says, In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat that ye know not of. So I'm, I'm being sustained. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Have any man brought him on to eat? Did somebody else? Did somebody else? already meet that need you know we say that God loves your children more than more than you love him God loves you more than you know that you can love yourself he's already met every need he's already met every need and Jesus said unto them my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. He was sustained in doing the will of the Father. You know, we should be filled and fulfilled in our innermost beings when we are conformed to his will. There should be no, no burning out, no drudgery. No, oh, it's seven o'clock again, we've got to come pray. It's Wednesday night service again. It's been a hard day at work. No, there should when when we are in His will and acting, there should be no no burning out, no drudgery. When I think about it, it's it's almost like they talk about the the, the vessel, the cup that David's men brought to him because he he just wistfully thought, oh, I just love the waters from this place. And they went out and fought through enemy lines to make sure that he had a drink of refreshment. And David, recognizing the peril that they had placed themselves in, recognizing the danger that they had placed him, themselves in, just so that he could be refreshed, He wanted to honor that. He wanted to honor 
the sacrifice that had been made. He says, it wouldn't be right for me to take this for myself. And so he took that, that cup and he, and he poured it out. And he poured it out as a drink offering. You know, in recognizing all that God has done for us, in recognizing the condition that we were in, in recognizing the sacrifices that had to have been made for us to even be here tonight, We in ourselves should, should just imagine our lives as saying, you know what, I, it doesn't matter. It's, I, can't, I can't possibly enjoy it all for me, for my benefit alone. I'm poured out as a drink offering. That the glory, that the glory would be to the Father. You know, if you think about it in the natural, because I want to meet you where you are. Those of you that have responsibilities and bills, you know, so you students can take a nap. Sometimes you go to work and you get paid and you see that money come into your account and then you start setting aside your tithes, your offerings, your special giving that's already been committed. Then you start looking at electric, water, mortgage, rent, whatever, gas, gasoline for the car, somebody else's college fund, somebody else's cell phone bill, somebody else's auto insurance. And when you've done all of that, you look at what's left and you're like, wow. Wow. But you know what? If you recognize truth that builds on truth, you should be content. That you know what? Everything that needed to be addressed, everything that needed to be done, that needed to be handled, it's taken care of. I don't care what's left. Because the will of God is being accomplished. Because purpose is being fulfilled. Because I remember when I would pour and pour and pour and it would still come up short. I'd have more month and the money had already ended. But every, everything that needed to be addressed has been addressed. So there's no discontent. There's no, there's no weariness. There's no sorrow. Because I've put on His purpose, His will, His desire, His designs. You know, when you've been living after the flesh, you don't have that kind of confidence. When you've been living for yourself, 
to satisfy your own needs, you don't have that kind of confidence. It only comes when we've constrained ourselves, when we've put on the breastplate of righteousness, when we've put on the will of God, His desire, His intentions. When you have on righteousness and you're in position, you have full confidence that what you're doing is what God wants you to do. It doesn't matter what those other people are saying on Facebook about what they're doing. You know, I know that I'm where God wants me to be. I know that I'm doing what God wants me to do. Go to John chapter 4, James chapter 4. One reason that we have to put on this breastplate of righteousness to guard our hearts, to be diligent, to put good treasure, is because what I'm saying is that otherwise we will find ourselves competing with the world, comparing ourselves to the world standard, comparing ourselves to society's standard. Instead of being conformed to the image of God, we'll find ourselves judging success and failure as the world judges success and failure. We'll find ourselves teaching and modeling the world's example of success and failure and poisoning the lives of the next generation and those that are that, that are that are looking at us to be examples. James chapter 4. It says, verse 8, verse 7. It's a good chapter. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Conform yourself. Constrain yourself to His will, to His standard. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. When we follow after the world standard, we call that carnality. And carnality in Christians, we look like sinners. The world has a hard time distinguishing between us and every other sinner. But the Holy Spirit is given unto you. The Holy Spirit is given unto you. The armor of God is given unto you. 
to resist sin and purify your hearts. To put away distractions. To put away that which does not conform and serve the will of God. So that you are clothed with His desire. That treasure is being stored up inside of you. You know, you don't, you don't realize, but when you wake up in the morning for your morning prayers and meditations, treasure, you're making deposits in your heart. When you, when you pause before eating that Big Mac with extra onions, and say, God, I thank you that you have mercy. You're putting treasure, you're making a deposit in your heart. When you would have said to your co-worker one thing, but instead you smiled. And told them to have a good day. That's treasure. Treasure is being built in your heart. So that when the time comes, that you're able to speak the words that are needed. God is glorified in the life of the believer that has put on righteousness, that has put on his will, his desire as a breastplate. That says that I'm going to put on this heavy covering, this shell. I'm going to allow it to take the blows. I'm going to allow it to take the assaults. I'm not going to defend myself. And try to try to stop it on my own. I'm not going to allow the circumstances. We talk about people that wear their feelings on their sleeves. They, they wear their emotions out in the open instead of behind that breastplate. I'm not going to allow offense to come and separate me from the will of God. I'm not going to allow trials temptations and tests to move me from God's purpose. Righteousness is a breastplate for me. It, it, it shapes my whole perception of the world. What I consider to be valuable, what I consider to be of no account. What I allow to capture my attention and to take up my time. And what I just can't be bothered with. I put on righteousness as a breastplate so that the Lord can be glorified in my life. Amen? Amen. Stand to your feet. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, 
please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.